0: Please be seated. Good morning again. We figured it out, and we should be online. So for all of you that are joining us a little late this morning, let me just tell you, we had some issues with the time change. So who invented the time change? What president was that? Well, you can blame him. So uh, so we are, we're back, and hopefully everybody refreshed their pages, and, and they're good to go. So we are continuing our, our series on Heaven and hell. And I'm excited that we get to uh, continue the process. And I have to tell you, I'm not terribly excited about today because if there's one topic that I really dislike preaching on, it is this one. We are going to be talking about hell. I wish it didn't exist. I wish God didn't use it. I wish I didn't have to preach on it. I wish it weren't in the Bible. It's selfish that I do because I do so out of of an idea that God's justice and his mercy are not equal, but they are. Our God that we serve is equally just and equally merciful. In fact, if I were to look at it as a theologian, I would say that his grace and his mercy outweigh his justice more times than not because he gives us way too often what we don't deserve, And he keeps from us way too often what we do deserve. This morning is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to actually do a little bit more teaching than I am preaching. And if you've ever wondered the difference, you'll probably see it a little bit today. The reason I'm doing that is because I got to tell you, as we were doing sermon prep for this, me and the other guys, we're sitting around and we're we're talking and, and we kind of left it where I just told you we left it. And as we put it together and, and did our own research and our own work on it, and we got back together and compared notes, we both, uh, both campuses this morning are, are pretty much landing on the same, same um, strategy is that there's just way too much in the Bible about hell to leave out, and so we're going to just read a whole lot of scriptures this morning. Hopefully I'm going to let God explain this to you and not me. Because, uh, like I said, this is not one of my favorite things, to preach about simply because it uh, it deals with judgment and punishment and I don 't like either of those things do you I don't so I want to begin with you this morning reading from Revelation chapter twenty like I said we're going to be dealing a lot with revelation through this passage or through this uh, teaching series that we 're doing, and a lot of times you have to start at the end in order to get to the beginning so I start at the end of the Bible revelation twenty verse eleven the end of all times and here's what it sounds like. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who seated, was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. This is the end of time. And I saw the dead, verse 12, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is called the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown, she was thrown into the lake of fire. Not fun to talk about, is it? We use words like heaven and hell very generically. And as we talked about last week in our first message on heaven and hell, we realize there's a difference between heaven and the eternal kingdom. The resurrected bodies that we have for eternity are not what we have when we go to heaven. In the same way, hell is a little bit different than we typically refer to it as well. In fact, in scripture, this may shock you, glad you're sitting down, the word hell is actually never used. It's only used one time, and it's alluded to as an extra piece of literature outside of the Bible that Peter refers to in his epistle. Jesus never says the word hell. He actually uses a different term. We use the word hell because it describes all of this kind of life that exists after death. And you're going to uh, get a whole lot of teaching on this this morning. Last week, we talked about what happens one minute after we die. We talked about our resurrected bodies, and I started out by saying, if you remember this, I'm not anxious to go to heaven. Not that I'm anxious to go to the other place either. I'm just not anxious to go to heaven. I don't want a spirit body. Not that I'm really anxious to get this back either, but a little trimming here and there, and I'd love to have my body back. This is the way that we're created. We are supposed to be excited about the resurrection someday. This is what we're promised in Scripture. Paul said if there's no resurrection, we should be of all people most miserable. This is what we're promised as our eternal uh, dwelling. And and you can access last week if you need a, a prep on this. This week we're talking about hell. Is hell real? Who goes there? How can we know? And this is what I want to tell you. Hell is not what you might think. It is likely worse. Worse than anything that you can imagine. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk more about what is heaven like, what are the the resurrection life like, are there going to be animals in heaven, all of that good stuff. What are we going to be doing for the rest of eternity when we receive our resurrected bodies back? Heaven is good. I got to tell you, heaven is good, but it's not nearly as good as the eternal kingdom. And we're going to talk about a lot of that uh, over the next few weeks. But today, today we're going to be doing a lot of scripture. We have a tendency to pick and choose, as do I, about what I like to preach about. This is not one of my top ten. And, um, I, but I'm, I'm anxious to, to teach you about it and to preach to you about it simply because it needs to be important to me, more important than it has been. Jesus talked about hell twice as much as he talked about heaven. There are mentions of hell I started off this week. Uh, there are about 80 references to heaven in the New Testament. There are 160 references to hell in the New Testament, over 70 of these, were taught by Jesus himself. In fact, if you wanna be fair about this, Jesus taught about hell more than any other person in scripture, in the Bible. And he describes hell far more than he describes heaven. And so let me, let me give you this quick little slide. These are some of the things that Jesus has said about heaven and hell, he says it's a place of eternal torment, unquenchable fire where the worm doesn't die. People go there and they're in anguish. It's a place from which there's no return, a place of constant darkness. He compares it to living in a garbage dump that burned day and night in his day. Gehenna, we'll talk more about that in a minute. Jesus talks about hell all the time. We don't. Mainly because it's, not, it's one of those topics you don't like to talk about in, 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 in common society. But I have to tell you this. We all will die. Unless Jesus comes back, God, I hope that's soon, don't you? Unless Jesus comes back, we all will die. And the minute you die, you will go to one place or the other. This is scripture. Much as we sometimes don't like to talk about it, this is scripture. Erwin Lutzer says this, one minute after you die, you will either be elated or terrified. The word used in, in the Bible to describe hell actually is most represented in the Bible. It's it's uh, hell is not a term that we translate directly. It's more of a descriptive term of a place Jesus referred to called Gehenna. Gehenna he referred to as a lake of fire, unquenchable fire. He always used this term Gehenna. We'll find out in why or we'll find out why in just a minute. Like from Revelation 20, Jesus describes hell in one way. It is a lake of everlasting fire. Jesus doesn't pull any punches. Like we say hell, and we like to mean like a whole bunch of stuff. How's your job? It's hell. You know, we we just say hell to refer to a whole bunch of things, right? But Jesus, when he talked about this place called hell, he always referred to it as a lake burning with everlasting fire. Never uses the term hell. Mark 9 43, here's one. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter as, as, as a crippled, enter life crippled then with two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Now, you might look at that and say, well, Craig, he said hell right there. He did not. He said Gehenna. This is the term that Jesus used for hell all the time. We translate it lazily into this term hell, but we need to understand this is not what Jesus used. Jesus, we, we refer to this place as hell, and we and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's re- like referring to heaven as the place we're going for eternity, and we're not going to heaven for eternity, Right? Right? All right, we get our resurrected bodies, we, we live in the everlasting kingdom, and we don't fish spiritual trout, we catch the real thing. All right, so here's the thing. The New Testament continues this thought, uh, this description of hell, as a place of torment and fire. Hebrews 10:26. 26, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. In other words, if we deliberately go on sinning after we know that God sent his only son to keep us from this destination. We say, forget you. There's no other sacrifice that remains. Nothing will do. No good works, no, no sacrifice to idols. There's nothing that you can do. There's, there, there's no other way here. No other way for us. There's no other sacrifice for our sins. But there's only, look at this church, a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of what? Fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Revelation picks up, and we just talked about it, Revelation 2014, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of what church? like a fire. This is the second death. It's a lake of fire. Twice it says it. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into three times the lake of fire second death is called the second death because everybody dies unless Jesus comes back, right? You're going to die. This is your, that's your first death. Your second death is what this is talking about. This is when those spiritual bodies are reunited with their physical bodies and you die a second time. And that second time is when you are thrown into the lake of fire. Died once, your spirit separates from your body, Hitler, you can dig him up. You can find his body right there. It's it's right there. His spirit goes on. And someday, that spirit and that body will be reunited, and he will experience a second death, and he will enter into the lake of fire. Jesus constantly warns us about this destination. He constantly warns us about it. The new heavens and the new earth He teaches us about this resurrection. At some point, your body and your spirit will be reunited. If you know the Lord, if you don't know the Lord, you die. Your spirit continues. Your body stays here. I can find you on the planet. The only person I can't find on the planet is Jesus. Everybody else is here in some way or another. At some point, those cells that we leave behind on this planet are going to be reunited with our spirits that go on to live forever, and we will be put into a physical place. For the new heavens and the new earth, we get to do this forever, right? That's pretty cool. We get to go over to each other's house, and and we get to have food. We know we eat. There's a marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus ate after he was resurrected. We know we have physical bodies. Jesus said, touch me, feel me, put your hands in the holes, right? We know we have physical bodies. There's animals in heaven. Well, the eternal kingdom. We know all this. It's all in Scripture. You're going to love everything we talk about when it comes to our eternal destiny as believers. But the unbelievers, those who choose to not follow Jesus Christ, to live in rebellion against him. They, too, are reunited. Their spirits and their bodies will be reunited, and they will live forever somewhere as well. They have to. They're souls. Souls live forever. If you're human, you've got a soul. Spirits, angels, they, they exist forever, but they don't have a soul. Only humans do. And those souls exist somewhere. Forever. The confusion on all of this, unfortunately, largely comes from the Bible using different terms to describe the reality of what happens after we die. Like we refer to heaven, we sometimes mean our resurrected bodies in the kingdom. In the same way, the Bible refers to hell and sometimes refers to what happens in our eternal destination versus our immediate destination. The moment after you die, you're either elated or terrified. So let's talk about what that means. There's a place for spirits now that we go to when we die. The limited time that we have, every one of us tries to beat death, don't we? You know, take yoga, do do uh, Pilates, whatever you got to do. You know, diet, do a diet, keep you keep you alive longer. I got news for you. It catches up with all of us, right? Every one of us will die. After we die. After these bodies expire, we die because we sin. You know that, right? For by one man sin entered the world, death passed to all men because all of sin. So we all die. Our spirits continue somewhere else. If we know Jesus Christ, we're immediately with him. If we don't know Christ, we're immediately separated from him in a place that we'll talk about in one minute. At some point, those spirits and bodies will be reunited and we will live into eternity. So let's talk about the terms that we have, all right? Let's start with one of the terms that is not found anywhere in scripture, and that is purgatory. You will not find this one in scripture. Now, some people believe that purgatory actually exists. We actually did a video cast on this, did a lot of uh, really cool uh, research on this one, and you can access this on uh, vce.org. You can go to the hub, go to the, uh, the digital, Village Church Digital Uh, and all of that information is there. Check the one out on Purgatory. It's really eye-opening. Purgatory, we'll tell you where it came from, how it got involved in all of these different churches that teach on it, but ultimately, Purgatory, that word is never in Scripture, never even taught in Scripture. It is actually historically a manipulative word to get you to do stuff that the church wanted you to do. All right? Number two. And by the way, if that's happening to you today, if somebody is threatening you by telling you that you have to give something or do something in order to achieve the grace of God, you need to run away from that person in that church because that is not anywhere in Scripture. It is for grace. By grace you are saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so if you're in a situation where your church or somebody, an elder in a church, somebody is telling you you need to do blank In order to get out of purgatory or to guarantee yourself a place in heaven, that is false information. And don't believe me. Just crack open the book. It's all the way through Scripture. All right? Number two, sheol. This is another word that is used in Scripture. This literally means to be buried or dirt. We go into sheol when we die. Now, interestingly enough, this word has to do with what happens after you die, what happens to your body, After you die, when those two thieves were crucified on the cross beside Jesus, they both went to Sheol. One of them went to heaven, the other one went to hell, we'll use the term hell, but both of them went to Sheol. That means they were both buried, right? Sometimes in scripture, Sheol is translated as hell. Translated in hell 31 times in the English Bible, translated as the grave equally 31 times, and it's translated as the pit three different times. So this word sheol has become a little confusing because of the way that we, and when the translators translated it in the Bible, they did so looking at the context. And so don't fault them for doing that. It's just that it's become um, like we use the word um, "too" or, or, or I'm trying to think of an English way that we, we mess this up too. Uh, you can mean two or you can mean to or you can go to a place or you can say I did this too you know uh, the word the same word but it describes different things we even spell it differently uh, unless you're a victim of the American school system then you might spell it all the same way but uh, in scripture the word Sheol typically means different things and it's translated hell sometimes because of the context now, we know this because David himself, King David said, when his son died, he said, when I go to Sheol, I will see my son there. Now, David did not go to hell. Uh, David was simply saying, when I'm buried in the dirt, I will get to see my son again. All right, so Sheol means buried or dirt. It's what happens to your body after you die. The third uh, category is actually has several words attached to it. Hades, the abyss, the sea, or gloomy chains of darkness. These words all mean the same destination. These are the spiritual, this is the spiritual destination for our spirits when we die and go to Sheol and our spirits are separated. Those who follow Jesus Christ go to heaven and those who do not follow Jesus Christ go to heaven. Go to Hades, abyss, sea, or the chains of gloomy darkness. This is a temporary holding place of torment for spirits pre-judgment. All right, a spirit destination. You don't go to heaven for eternity. Again, check that out last week if that's taken you by shock and you're thinking to yourself, what kind of place is this? Uh, check it out last week. You'll find out what I mean by that. But just like you don't go to heaven for eternity, you don't go to, to this place called the abyss for eternity either. However, it is a place you don't want to go. Spirits are held there now. Rebellious angels are held there now. And this is the beginning for those spirits who have been in rebellion against God to be reunited with their bodies someday, and they will continue. They will be brought, like we talked about in Revelation, they will be resurrected from Hades, and they will be thrown into the lake of fire. That is the second death. This place is so bad, not even the angels wanted to go there. There's a great story in Scripture where there's a bunch of demons that possessed a guy, and they were getting on Jesus' nerves. So Jesus decides he's going to cast out these demons, and he talks to the guy, and he says, who's, who's in there with you? And he says, my name is Legion, right? You remember this? And Jesus said, okay, your time in this fella is over. I'm going to cast you out. And you know what that, that demon said? Don't cast us out. Don't cast us out and don't give us a place to go because if that's the case, they end up in Hades, chained in gloomy darkness until the final judgment. They don't even want to go there. Instead, they said, could you just throw us into these pigs over here? Do you remember this? We'd rather live in the pigs and make the pigs crazy. I think that's what's wrong with my dog now that I'm thinking about it. (laughs) Anyway, we'd rather make the pigs crazy then we, would, uh, then we would go to this place. So listen to this. It's in Luke 8.31. This stuff is all in Scripture. Luke 8.31 says, And they begged him not to command them to depart into the what church? Into the abyss. They don't want to go there. That's the worst place. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to enter these, so he gave them permission. So they went into the pigs, and the pigs all ran into the water. Do you remember the story? They all drowned. We sometimes picture the devil in hell ruling over all of these angels in hell. The devil doesn't want to go to the abyss. That's the worst place he can go. The demons don't want to even go there. That's a terrible place. No, the devil's not in the, not in the abyss. You know where the devil is, right? Yeah, he's, he's right here. And his little minions are right here, too. He, we said this in our scripture. He walks about this earth seeking whom he might devour. When, when God said to, to, when the devil visited him and God said to him, where have you been? Where have you been? And, and, and Satan answered. Remember, he was trying to tempt Job. And Satan says, oh, I've been wandering around in the earth, finding someone I can destroy. No, not even Satan wants to go to this place. This is the most terrible place for spirits. This is, this is eternal punishment and the waiting of judgment for eternal punishment. Peter grabs a Greek word. This is the one time that Peter uses the actual word. This one time you can find the word hell in Scripture, and it's taken from extra biblical Scripture. Peter pulls it in in 2 Peter 2 and verse 4. He says, For God did not, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell. He actually uses the word hell, but what he means here is the abyss. He's using a term that everybody understands and everybody in our world understands, hell. He cast them into hell and committed them to gloomy chains of darkness to be kept until when, church? The judgment. This is not an eternal place. This is a place where they're kept until judgment. And after that, they go to eternal place, lake of fire. But then verse 9 scares the hui out of me. If God knows how to keep the angels in chains of gloomy darkness and kept until the judgment, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. You know who else is in the abyss right now? The spirits of those who have not turned to Jesus Christ. And they are kept there until the day of judgment. Again, I remind you what Luther said because I don't know if I could say it any better. One minute after you die, you're going to be elated or terrified. This brings us to the last word. This is a word that Jesus only uses. He doesn't use any other word, and this is the word he uses. He uses Gehenna. Gehenna is also referred to as a lake of fire. Jesus uses uh, 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 visual language, uh, but when he uses one term, he always uses the term Gehenna. Let me tell you about the Valley of Gehenna. Now, the Valley of Gehenna is actually called the Valley of Hinnom. If you do your own study, you'll find this out to be true. The Valley of Hinnom was changed to Gehenna because it's easier to say. It was actually called the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. But they changed to the Valley of Gehenna, same place. The Valley of Gehenna was known as a cursed place. Way back in the Old Testament, when people wanted to worship Moloch, guess where they worshiped Moloch? I bet you hit it, the Valley of Gehenna. Now, if you remember Moloch, remember this wonderful idol where people would bring their children to? There was either a big hole in his stomach or his hands were out like this, and he was heated hot. And when you wanted this God to do something for you, you brought him a child that was just born, and you laid that child either in the hands or in the hole in his stomach, and you watched that child fry. Evil, right? Despicable. And the place you went to find this God was the Valley of Hinnom. Or the Valley of Gehenna. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 19 calls us the Valley of Slaughter because of the blood of the innocents that were sacrificed to Moloch. This is the worst kind of idol worship. The Jews were de- detested this. The Canaanites did this. Some of the Jews ended up doing this. Worst kind of idol worship, and it was done in this valley. This is why this valley was called the Cursed Valley. It also was a place... When Babylon came in and captured all of the people and led them into captivity into Babylon, you remember the story? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you remember those guys? These kids, these were kids at the time carried away to Babylon because they were going to be brainwashed to be followers and to be good citizens of Babylon. But there was a problem, they had parents and grandparents. They had family members. And when you get old, you can't get brainwashed that good, unless you live in 2021, then you can't brainwash pretty good. But way back then, if you were older, you were harder to brainwash, so you had to get killed. And when you got killed, guess where you were slaughtered and left to die? Take a guess. Valley of Gehenna. When the Babylonians came in, they said, drag them all here. And they killed them all and piled them up and burned them all in the Valley of Gehenna. Dead bodies were burned there. Isaiah after the Babylonian captivity refers to this valley in Isaiah 66:24. And he uses this valley and connects it to what eternity is going to be like under the judging hand of God. Isaiah 66:24 they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me the worm there shall not die fire shall not be quenched and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. This was a place that Isaiah talked about and connected with eternal judgment of eternity when the spirits of the rebellious are joined with their bodies again. He said it's going to be like the valley of Gehenna. And because of that, Jesus himself uses Gehenna to talk about hell all the time. Gehenna was actually referred to as the cursed valley. And in Jesus' day, There was a garbage dump here. This was a place where the Jews threw all of their garbage. Not only that, on the Temple Mount, they would sacrifice so many animals that there would be blood everywhere. It was a bloody endeavor. They built a moat that ran from the Temple Mount all the way through the city, all the way, so that that blood and the guts and all of that could flow freely, uh, uh, led by gravity, down to the lowest point right outside of the gates. And I bet you can't guess what that lowest point was. It was the valley of valley of Gehenna. And they lit that sucker on fire and it burned day and night, full of ick and muck. There was smoke constantly. It smelled terrible. It had a horrific history. It was referred to as the Jews as the gateway to hell. And when Jesus wanted to talk about eternal hell, Jesus used the word Gehenna. Gehenna means, means nothing to us, but if you knew Jewish history, which you do now, you would know you don't want to be anywhere near this place. And the ironic thing is that this gateway to hell was right next to the city of God. Matthew 23, Jesus says. I, I could pull all kinds of verses. I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm even behind now. I'm trying to go faster. But I, I could give you verse after verse after verse. Matthew 23, here's one. You serpents, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> he's so kind to everybody, isn't he? Uh, okay, so he's talking to the Pharisees who were just, you know, they were, they were using religion to manipulate people, all right? Jesus has a very short fuse for anyone who uses religion his realm of authority to manipulate people. So he's talking to the Pharisees, and he calls them not his beloved lost sheep. (laughs) No, no, he calls them a bunch of snakes. You serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to Gehenna? These were the guys that were leading people in the religious rites of the day. And Jesus says, you should know something. I'm not going to see you in heaven. I'm going to see the thief on the cross, but I'm not going to see you. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, Don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and what, church? Soul and body in Gehenna, in hell, eternal destination. So I have some questions before we get to our so what's. Why would God create such a terrible place? Is that a good question? All right, let's move on to the next question. No, I'm just kidding. Why would God create such a terrible place? This place was created for the devil and his angels. It was never created to hold bodies of humans. It was created for the devils and his the devil and his angels. It was meant as an everlasting punishment for everlasting beings, these demons, these spirits. These spirits who refuse to follow what God wanted them to do. Matthew 25, 41. Jesus' words, he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for who, church? The devil and his angels. Hell, this thing we refer to as hell, this gehenna, this eternal destination of punishment, was never created for human beings, it's created for spirits. The devil and his angels were meant to end up there. It was never meant for people. But because of rebellion in our hearts, rebellions a hard thing to kill. We are a rebellious people. And we are an eternal, well, not eternal. We are an everlasting people. We had a beginning, but we will not have an end. After the fall, it became the place to hold those unwilling to follow Jesus Christ, unwilling to bend to the authority of God. Hell was created for the devil and his angels, but it became a holding place, this abyss, a holding place for the spirits of those who refuse to obey God. Second question. Wouldn't Jesus warn us about this place? (laughs) Yes. Yes, that's pretty much all he does. It's amazing to me that we have a tendency to kind of sit on the words of Jesus that we like and we love, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yeah, so stick that in your craw, right? We like to we like to uh, to love your enemies, you know, the, the ones we can stomach a little bit. But you need to know Jesus talked about hell a lot. John 5:28. Do not marvel at this Jesus said for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and they will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of what, church? Judgment. Jesus didn't hide this information from us. We just don't talk about it maybe as much as we should. It's become passe in modern society. I've said this before and I'll say it again. One of the greatest ploys that the devil ever pulled off was convincing the world he doesn't exist. All souls were created to be everlasting. In the new earth, those souls will have a place to go. Jesus, by the way, do you know who does the final judgment? It's not the Father. Did you know that? That's not his job. Do you know who does the final judgment? Jesus. Jesus. The stories of Jesus stepping in when you appear before the Father and he's angry at you and he's going to throw you into hell and Jesus steps in and says, I'll take his place. That's not how it goes. If we're going to be really honest, Jesus is the judge. Soul and body will be reunited for that moment of judgment and those rebellious angels and humans will receive their reward, their judgment. Matthew 10, 28. I remind you again, don't fear those who can kill the body. You're going to die anyway. (laughs) Don't fear those who can kill the body. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. Last question came to my mind. You might have a few more. You can submit them if you would like to. We do these uh, questions in the sermon Q&A. Here's my question, though. Why would a loving God leave people to this destiny? I got to tell you, that's the wrong question. The wrong question is not why would a loving God leave us to this destiny. The, 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 the right question is, why would a holy God stop the process? Any, any righteous people in this room? Any, anyone who has never sinned? Raise your hand. I'd love to meet you. Anyone? The Bible says one sin against God is enough to condemn you for eternity. Can you believe that? Do you know why that is? Because he's holy. He cannot stand, and neither can you, in the presence of sin. Not when you're in front of him. God's holiness would consume us. Think of it like we wear stained robes. C.S. Lewis put it this way. The closer you get to God with these stained robes, the further you are away, you're thinking to yourself, I'm not so bad. Not as bad as Darren. I mean, look at me. He's He's got stains all over him. The problem is when you get closer to God, the light of God's holiness beams up the room, and you're looking at yourself going, oh, yeah, yeah. I might, get, I might have Darren Beat here. <laughs> this is the message of Scripture. Church, this is the message of Scripture. We're all destined for this place. The wrong question is not, what a loving God leave us there? The right question is, why would a loving God stop us from going there? The right question is, why do we have John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, he owes us Nothing. The problem is we're so arrogant we think we deserve everything. Hebrews 10:26 If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving knowledge of the truth. Listen, I've been preaching to some of you for 4 years. Have you have you lived righteous yet? Have you sinned in the last 4 years? My guess is probably If we go on sinning after we deliberately receive the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but this fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries, we need help. The question is not why would a loving God leave his people, the question is why would a holy God let his only son die for rebels? For people who know the truth and don't care. God is under no obligation to save rebels. Do you think that he is? That is a pretty arrogant thought, don't you think? Well, I know he'd save me. I mean, pretty arrogant, right? Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God is a message done by Jonathan Edwards. If you've never read it, you probably should. He was a monotone preacher who did this message. And when he did it, the people who heard it felt like the earth was opening underneath of them and they were to fall into hell in a heartbeat. It became screaming and it began a revival. This message began a revival. We refer to it in history. You can read about it. Powerful message. Here's some of the things that Edward said. The thing to is they are liable to fall to themselves without being thrown down by a hand of another. But he that stands or walks on slippery ground needs nothing but his own weight to throw him down. We don't need any help. Just live this week. You don't need any help to demonstrate how sinful you are. I don't need any help. I don't need Satan to come along and tap me on the shoulder. I can do pretty good on my own. The reason why they're not fallen already and do not fall now is that God's appointed time has not yet come. For it is said that when that due time or that appointed time comes, their foot shall slide, they shall be left to fall as they are inclined by their own weight, God will not hold them up on these slippery places any longer, but will let them go. And then at that very instant they will fall into destruction. There's nothing that keeps wicked men any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. How long will a punishment last? The lake of fire is permanent destination for those whose names are not found in the Lamb's Book of Life. It lasts forever. Rebels wouldn't be happy anywhere near God's holiness. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Remember how I started all of this? Some things we don't like talking about. (laughs) Some things we just don't like talking about. We have to talk about them, right? One of the top three purposes of the church is to get you ready to die. You're going to die. Unless Jesus comes back, which would be really nice, by the way, any time now. You're going to die. And when that happens, your life continues somewhere. It's all the way through Scripture. You either go to heaven, this place where we get to be with our loved ones and with God, or we go to the other place where not even the demons want to hang out. And if that's not bad enough, at some point, you're going to get your body back. Your spirit is going to be reunited with your body. You'll be resurrected. Some will be resurrected, and they will be full of joy (laughs) because they will be with God for eternity in heaven, petting animals and eating until they can't get fat anymore. You can't sin if you wanted to in this place. It's going to be great. Some are going to be resurrected to judgment. And the time you have to prepare for that is limited. It's right now. God is merciful to give us time, but I don't know how much time you have. I don't know how much time I have. Hell is the righteous punishment for sin-filled human beings. Let me put it this way. Does sin make you angry? Does sin make you angry? Oh, I I hope you say yes, would you just please say yes? Let's act like we're righteous, all right? Does sin make you angry? Well, it should, it really should. I saw a story last week about a dad who went to a school board meeting after his daughter was raped in a public bathroom because boys were allowed to go to the same bathroom as girls and this kid apparently went to one school district and then another school district and did the same thing. His daughter was raped, he goes to the school board and tries to say his case. Let's cut this nonsense out and, and not do, give these kids this temptation. Let's, let's just stop doing this. And you know what the response of the school board was? Here's the response of the school board. That never happened. Now, if you're that father, would that make you mad? I don't know that guy, and I'm mad about it. What do you mean that never It happened. And they, this guy, on top of that, got carted out by the police and put in jail. Does that make you mad? Oh, yeah. I'm telling you what, sin, sin when you think about it, it, makes you mad. And however angry it makes you, it makes God a thousand times more angry. Murders in Chicago, 2021, is the largest year of murder since 1996, more than 400,000 people are killed every year, murdered in the world. Of Every 75 seconds, somebody is murdered globally. Every seven minutes, an adolescent is murdered. 500,000 people in 2010 in South Africa were murdered one per minute. In the USA, assault on human beings in 2010 was 1.5 people per minute were being assaulted. Abortion in 2021, 95 abortions per minute. You don't think God's sitting back going, Ah, that's okay, I can live with that. Genocide, kidnapping, sex slavery. These kids that are being thrown over the fence by these rotten coyotes that are, by the way, going straight to hell. These kids that are being thrown over are being snatched up by people putting them into sex trade. If you don't know that, you're not listening to the right stuff. Does that make you mad? It makes me really mad because we're talking about all the wrong stuff. Child labor camps. Do you know what's going on in North Korea? Do you know what's going on in Sudan? Do you know what's going on in Afghanistan? The church is busting at the seams because they're being hunted down. Pornography. Available to your kids by a thumb. And, And to all of us. Lying, slander, sexual sins, bitterness, gossip, bullying, Does this not make you mad? Makes me mad. And sometimes I do it and it does make me so mad because I'm the guy that's doing it. But to God, we're we're wrecking what he made. You don't think that makes him mad? Our wickedness is as heavy as lead. And your so-called righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you from this web that you're about to fall through to keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. When you understand God's personal experience with humanity, his righteous anger begins to make sense. It's his mercy that doesn't make sense. I want to put that up on the screen for you because it's really good. When you understand God's personal experience with humanity, his righteous anger begins to make sense. It's his mercy that doesn't make sense. In Sinners of His Hand of an Angry God, one of the lines that I love the most is, the sword of d- divine justice is every moment brandishing over our heads. It's nothing but the hand of an arbitrary mercy and it's God's mere will. It's nothing but the hand of arbitrary mercy and God's mere will that holds it back. Church, the problem is we're all sinners. We just think we're not. Or we're not as bad as Darren. Darren. Each of these sins and more creates a sense of justice in God, and they must be punished. Each one of us is guilty of something that demonstrates we are constantly under the power of sin, not under the mercy and the grace of God. We run to sin like a like a like a fly to like a. Mis, uh, I'm trying to think of a good illustration. We run to sin like it's the most natural thing in the world. Sin came into the world through one man; death spread to all men because. All sin. We're all stained. We're all stained. But in our arrogance, we just prefer to judge the other guys' stains over our own. Number two. Hell is forever. You don't want to play around with this one. You do not want to play around. Second Thessalonians 1 9 says, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Once you're on this path, only Jesus can change it. Death is the deadline. Jesus is completely merciful and completely just. And listen, you would rather, you believe you me, you'd rather have his mercy than his justice. Hell was created out of justice to give us what we do deserve. Heaven was created out of mercy, grace, and giving us what we don't deserve. God is merciful to give us another day to repent. This is also all, all the way in Scripture. Listen to this. 2 Peter 3.7 says, but at the same time the word... But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist were stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Verse 9 will get you. And the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you want to know why the Lord hasn't returned yet? It's His mercy is giving you another day. It's giving you another day. It's giving your family another day. It's giving your friends another day. It's giving you another day. Don't waste it. I'm amazed how many funerals I do and I preach the gospel message and people come and they look death in their eyes and they walk away with no changes. It's God's mercy that created a place called heaven. It's God's justice that puts us in the abyss the bill for your sin must be paid your sin will either be paid for you by in hell for eternity or your sin has been paid for by Jesus on the cross <laughs> that's the amazing thing <laughs> you don't have to pay for your sin you couldn't do it anyway you don't, you don't have enough in your bank account you don't have enough in your righteousness bank account you need the righteousness of Jesus and so I bring you to the third point last one. only Jesus can change your course Only Jesus. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in church. Say this with me, please. There is salvation in no one else, for there is, read it with me, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Any questions? There's only one person whose body does not dwell on this planet any longer. It is because that person was completely holy and righteous, lived a holy and righteous life, died so that you could walk to heaven on his broken back. You can ride Jesus' coattails all the way to heaven, but you can't do it without him. John 3, 16. We love this, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But then the next verse says, For God did not send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Hallelujah. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. They're already on that trajectory. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God, the one hand that can pull him out of the fire, he never reaches for Jesus is a redeemer, promised as soon as this, we wreck this thing called life. This is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's all the way through Scripture. This is why Jesus talked about hell way more than heaven. He nor I want to see anybody there. I, you know what I wanted to call this message? <laughs> I was debating with. I wanted to call this message, Hell No for Christ's Sake. Isn't that good? Hell no, for Christ's sake. My dad, when I was eight years old, my dad, after church service, brought me home, and I don't know why I asked him, but I did. I said, Dad, how do I go to heaven? Eight years old. Not really intelligent, but enough to know I don't want to go to the other place. So we walk in the door. My dad takes me in the living room. <clears throat> we had this orange carpet that was terrible. Do you remember the orange carpet? <laughs> and we had a, a couch that had, like, big orange flowers and green leaves on it. I can remember it because that's where I knelt down with my dad. And When I knelt down with my dad, he turned to me and he said, Craig, you're a sinner. You, you cannot stop sinning. I said, I'll do better, Daddy He said, no, no, no. You don't understand. You can't stop. It's in your DNA. You'll sin until the day you die. I said, well, what am I supposed to do? He said, well, do you love Jesus? I said, yeah. He said, you should because Jesus has offered you a way to escape judgment. Your sin will take you to a place where you'll be judged someday and you will live for eternity in hell. In Gehenna, the lake of fire. Or you can trust Christ as your Savior and realize he died for your sins. Took them all on himself. Paid your price. Paid the bill. And you can live in in heaven with him. (laughs) So my dad said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'll take option number two, door number two. He said, okay, then you've got to confess You've got to ask Jesus into your heart. I was eight. So I stuck my head in the orange and green flowers, and I prayed out loud. I don't even know what I said. All I can remember is, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. And that's really all I needed to know. That's why the gospel is so simple. Everybody in this room can understand it. Even an eight-year-old can get it. All you have to do is believe that Jesus died on the cross, paid for your sins, so you don't have to. And you'll never stand in judgment before him, ever. You'll only be welcomed into eternity and receive far more than you ever deserved. My prayer this morning is that if I have to preach on hell, I'd do it like Jesus did. For Christ's sake, don't go there. Let Jesus change your course because there's a far better option. But you've got to make the decision now because you don't know what happens when you walk out that door or when you switch off the TV. You don't know what's going to happen. Make sure your life is right with Christ now. Father, I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk about hell and heaven, and this is a heavy one. Uh, Nobody wants to go to hell problem is we don't necessarily believe it's as bad as you said it is help us to take your word for it and if anyone's listening here in the house or even on the screen over the the online today father that you would work in their hearts to the power of your holy spirit and convince them that they need to give their lives to you before it's too late they need to bend the knee to you and say you're right i'm wrong you're holy and i'm stained you're without sin, and I can't help myself but sin. I'm, I'm in trouble. I need help. So for all of those willing to humble themselves to that end, Father, I pray that you you and your Holy Spirit would reach down and just pull the plug on their pride and help them in humility to make this the day of salvation, for their salvation in no other name. Thank you for saving us and forgive us for looking for a hundred different ways to get to heaven except through you. You have warned us, planned it for us, told us about it, and now invited us. And I pray that we would welcome the invitation and respond. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I don't usually do this, but I'm going to do this today. Even you at home, uh, if you're with some other people, if you just bow your head and just close your eyes for a second. Uh, this needs to be a moment of privacy. I want to just offer this invitation for you. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if today has been dimed, maybe the Holy Spirit has spoken to you for the first time and revealed to you that you are destined for a place you do not want to go, and there's a place where you can go, be with loved ones and with Christ for eternity, if you want to respond to that, would you raise your hand up? I'd like to talk to you after the service. I'll, I'll pray with you, give you some more information. If that's you this morning, you're thinking to yourself, I, I got I to gotta respond to this. You, you online at home, you can press a button on there. What do I do? That? I decide to follow Jesus. Go to our website. Fill that out. We'll follow up with you. But for you in house, if you'd like to do that, everybody's heads bowed, everyone's eyes closed. If you'd like to do that this morning, would you raise your hand and make this a, a public moment for you right now? Would you raise your hand just so I can see you this morning? Okay. I see it. Anyone else? You can put your hands down. Father, uh, you know the hearts of those who have been listening to this message. You know what you've been doing in their hearts. And, Father, I pray that they would settle this before one more day goes by. Thank you for the boldness of those who who have decided to follow you today that this is their day of salvation. Bless us as we go into the communion time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.